Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Business Ninjas. I'm happy to be here today with John D. Marvin, President and CEO of Texas State Optical. How are you doing today, John? I'm great, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me to be with you today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for spending some time. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and Texas State Optical. Well, I, my background is uh, in marketing and uh, consumer research, market strategy. I, and I got involved in the eye care business in the mid-80s, first in ophthalmology, and um, that um, introduced me to Texas State Optical in the te- in the Houston area, and um, then from that I began working with the franchisees. At that time, in the uh, mid early nineties, was when I first began working with TSO. Um, it was a traditional franchise company, and my involvement uh, work with TSO involved. Uh, me working to help the franchisees form a franchise association. Okay. And at that point, it had about 200 locations, mostly in Texas, but some in Louisiana and Arkansas. And um, so I began working with that group. And then towards the end of the 90s, um, a number of the leaders in the franchise community and I were trying to do some planning for the new millennial. And um, it became apparent to us that the only way they were going to realize what they saw as potential in TSO was if they purchased it. So I helped them for the year of 1999. We started that, took most of the year of 2000 to complete it. I mean, yeah, 2000. It's hard to say. It seems 2000 seems like a lifetime ago. It's amazing. But um, we negotiated that and acquired it and then turned it into a member-owned cooperative so that each franchisee had an opportunity to buy into the corporate company, the franchisor. Okay. And we restructured it at that point and decided to operate it as a nonprofit with the primary business focus being to help young optometrists open their own practice and um, and utilize the value and equity of the TSO brand. Texas State Optical was started in Texas in 1936. Wow. And so it's uh, got a longevity in the state. Uh, probably one of the most common things I hear from people that are, you know, 40 or older is that, Texas State Opticals, where their parents took them for their very first pair of glasses. And um, and so it was a great opportunity at that point for the franchisees to own it and begin to use it as a kind of a nonprofit way of helping to grow private practice, utilizing the strength of a, of a very well-known brand with, that has and still does a lot of equity in it. So. Now, you mentioned in a previous conversation that corporate uh, optometry is not legal in the state of Texas. So that's that was the impetus for this sort of organization. Well, no, I mean, in 1936, when it was started, it was wholly owned by four brothers 
two of whom were optometrists, and they built a corporate optometry company um, with, at that time in the early 60s, well over 300 locations, again, mostly in Texas, but that time had Louisiana and Arkansas and Oklahoma and New Mexico. And uh, due to um, some changes in Texas optometry law, um, which limited the ownership of an optometrist can only own three locations maximum in Texas. And that combined with uh, making corporate optometry, the idea that a corporation can employ an optometrist illegal under the Optometry Act, um, caused these guys that own this 300 location chain to have to divest themselves. And uh, they ended up just selling the locations to um, to people that they had employed in each of them. So they would approach the employed doctor. And, and so through that process, they divested themselves of, of all of them. And it, the, the limit on number of locations for optometrists, as well as the prohibition on corporate optometry, still exists today. And uh, whereas our neighbor friend in Louisiana, the state of Louisiana, it is not illegal. So I think you and I had talked about if you go into one of the more popular common chains, for instance, let's just use Walmart. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Louisiana, Walmart employs the optometrist that works to perform exams, and then they have an in-store optical Mm -hmm. where people can buy their eyewear. In Texas, Walmart cannot employ that doctor. So instead, they set up a about an 800 square foot space with a door that's separate from the main door. And that optometrist leases that space from Walmart, does the exams. But the people that go to the that doctor, they're not obligated at all to purchase their eyewear inside Walmart. They can take it anywhere they want. So uh, it's just a difference in state law. It's, you know, our great experiment of 50 different laboratories. Um, <laughs> but Texas is not alone. There are a number of states that prohibit corporate optometry. Um, used to be um, there was a position on corporate medicine itself, but that has long past gone away. But, you know, still there's some limitation state to state is going to be different, but in Texas, it is prohibited. Okay. Are you guys uniquely positioned in terms of having a sort of uh, member owned nonprofit organization like you do? I, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't look at it that way. My personal, I think we're well positioned because our brand has got so much value in it and it gives us a number of different options to pursue. Um, in the past five years, uh, companies that are financed and largely owned by private equity firms have been buying up optometry practice all across the country. And in the last five years, they've entered Texas. Uh, what kept them at bay for the previous five to 10 was this corporate prohibition. But they have worked a way around that, uh, that has not been challenged successfully yet. 
good, but it's doubtful at this point because um, there's just due to some inside state regulation issues, it's doubtful that there will be a successful prosecution. So as they've come into the marketplace and begin consolidating and buying up practices and operating them as corporate-owned optometry practices, then um, what we're seeing is that combined with a decline in young optometrists coming out of optometry school having an interest in owning their own practice. And many of them, if the large majority of them, preferring a salaried position instead. And so those things kind of come together and change the marketplace. And so I think that TSO is well positioned because with a brand that is well known and has got such a um, strong positive perception of it among consumers, uh, we can either go the corporate route if we want to, or we can continue to work on a more franchise-like model, um, or we can do both. So I think that our options are pretty unlimited, and um, and so our our strategic plan, our business plan, includes both of those options as our plans for growth. I, I would hope that your "quote unquote" franchisee model would would position you to do battle with this proliferation of online low cost mail order glasses. Um, You know, I get emails 20 times a day now from insert name of glasses company here for cents on the dollar to what it costs when I go to the optometrist. How are you guys dealing with that sort of change in the marketplace? Well, that's largely driven by two um, attributes. Um, One is convenience, because it's very convenient to shop online. Most of us spend at least one year, if not two, uh, getting groceries online and purchasing about whatever we needed online. So, And that actually accelerated all online activity because people who otherwise hadn't really shopped that way were forced to for a period of time. And so what people have learned is it's extremely convenient to do that. And with uh, online providers or online retailers um, bending over backwards to make it convenient in terms of returns or remakes and so forth, then that, that preference has grown. The other aspect of it is cost. And uh, if you take a look at all the online optical, you'll end up probably concluding that the the general, the kind of the sweet spot of the retail price point is somewhere between $99 and $119 for a complete pair of eyewear with free shipping. And um, if you've been wearing glasses for any period of time, and the last time you went to an eye doctor and bought it in their location, it probably cost you somewhere between $300 and $400. And so if if you're trying to save a couple of hundred bucks and you're thinking, and they say guaranteed, shipping free, no return, you can return it if it doesn't work. I mean, why wouldn't you try that? 
And if it lives up to your expectation or better, why would you go back to paying 300 to 400 when you could buy it more conveniently and less expensively? And, um, and so that's a big challenge to uh, in-store providers, in loft, we call them offices, in-office providers, because they're going to have to deal with that price reckoning. Um, the large majority of online commerce is single vision eyewear. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the easiest to be able to manufacture in that type of a deliveries channel without problems. If you are uh, older than 40, you most likely need a multifocal or a bifocal. And now we largely use progressive lenses. And uh, those are a lot more difficult and you'll not find a whole lot of those being sold online. So, but I think the lesson and the least lesson we're taking out of it is we've got to address the fact that a consumer pays $400 for a pair of glasses with us or someone like us. And then they see an advertisement on a television for another competitor that says, you can get two pair of glasses and a free eye exam for $89. And the consumer looks at that and says, wow, by the time I got glasses and an exam, it was almost $500. What's up with this? And while they might be skeptical that they could get something that they would be like, they, they would like, uh, for $89 complete two pair instead of one pair and exam for 500, they're still going to ask the question, what's up with this? Why is there such a difference? It's not 500 and 399. It's 589. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the industry in general has to address that. And uh, certainly we have to in terms of the price point now we don't have to match 89 and give away an exam uh but we we have to be conscious of the fact that people are very price sensitive when it comes to eyewear and that was before we had inflation more inflation than we've had in 40 years so you combine that on top of it, it becomes an even greater pressure on people like us, organizations like us. So we've got to really kind of rethink this and figure out what our pricing model is going to be and and figure out um, the kind of the path forward with what can lose the most, I mean, lose the least and attract uh, people with a level of confidence that they're going to get quality eyewear. Well, I guess it's most important to educate people that, well, the way you look is interesting. Your eye health is is still the number one priority here, right? We're not talking about a little little matter. These are not sunglasses, right? This is your eye health at the end of the day. Um, and uh, you need to go to people who know what they're doing and, and are taking care of you. And, and uh, doing that online is uh, not necessarily the well, way to go. Well, the majority of e-commerce business in our industry is not the clinical piece it's the retail piece mm-hmm. and people today much more than just a few years ago have an attitude well i'm going to try it 
And if I don't like it, I'll send it back. Yeah. Because all I got to do is run to a UPS store and put it in a sandwich bag and they'll take it from there. And, you know, I mean, when it's that kind of convenience, people are inclined to try it. Of course. Now, we believe that we still have a better proposition, value proposition for people. But um, it's it's become a the focus has got to be when you come to get that quality eye exam, we've got to assure you that you can get a really good pair of eyewear, quality pair of eyewear, and it's going to be worth what you pay for. You're going to walk out of here feeling like you got a great deal, even if you did spend $500. Um, Not everybody drives smart cars. You know, a lot of people drive Buicks and are willing to pay that extra money to do so because the value they get for their investment is justified to them. And I think that that's, we've never had to do that. You know, we've never had to really take a position where we have to, um, I I don't want to use the word justify necessarily, but we haven't really had to persuade people in the value proposition that we've got because their options were largely us or someone like us. And now that Warby Parker broke the seal on this whole thing, um, we've had to deal with that. And, and I think, frankly, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Well, hey, we, we still live in a capitalist country and it, it, everybody has to have the opportunity to come up with a new way of doing business and we all have to adjust accordingly. Um, you know, unfortunately, the, the Amazon, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, dynamic has changed a lot of things for a lot of people and it's put a lot of brick and mortars out of business. Unfortunately, Uh, I I have to admit I'm guilty. If there's a high end piece of equipment, I might go to a store to check it out. But at the end of the day, if somebody can hand it to me at my front door with an easy return for a few hundred dollars less than that store, I'm not in a position to use my heart over my wallet, right? So uh, it's, a, it's a tough dynamic that we all have to deal with now in the 21st century. You know, and, and I agree with you completely. I, I think the turning point preceded Amazon. And I think that turning point was the proliferation of Walmart across the country. Because I don't know if you're old enough to remember, in the beginning, Walmart largely was limited to rural areas that didn't have access to the type of variety of choice in products and services that a small town of 25,000 or 50,000 people would normally have. And that had a huge negative impact on small business in those communities. Absolutely. And, And then when they began to move into the large metropolitan areas, that just continued. And in a way, it was a major disruption in retail. And the next wave of that disruption was online and Amazon. But we had, we had um, numbed our sense of community and local business responsibility because what the heck, why would I pay $20 for something from my small business in my small town when I could get a China version for one-tenth of the price. 
And, and so people made that choice. And by the time we kind of woke up to this, half of Main Street was gone. And I, and I think that there's been first a market-driven change, but I think that we are seeing really just like I'm dealing with the TSO, where a growing or excuse me, a declining interest in owning a small business, we're seeing a decline in small business ownership across the country in favor of larger corporate interests. And some could probably effectively argue that may not be the best for a local community. So well, and and leads into my next question, which relates to the challenges and opportunities of growing your business in COVID. Uh, I would imagine people are more gun shy than ever to be a small Main Street business owner after the last couple of years with just, I mean, nobody saw it coming, obviously, right? The world shutting down overnight. And obviously, Texas didn't shut down quite the way we did here in California and some other states, but still, there was a huge change in, in how business was conducted. How did it affect TSO? Well, I think actually um, we fared much better than most for a couple of reasons. One was certainly the fact that we were in Texas and our state and local governments were not as draconian in their approach to it. Um, The second thing, though, was that all of our 120 locations um, are owned by entrepreneurs. And if they're not seeing patients, they've got no money to pay their rent or their utilities or others, as opposed to, I know there was a large private equity company that was in Texas at the same time, and they didn't reopen their locations for four months after we did. Our locations were closed for about two weeks in mid to late March of 2020. In April, we had about a third of our locations open. By May, we had them all open. And this corporate entity who has no entrepreneurial aspect to it other than they're paying ODs to work, optometrists to work, they didn't open up until September you know, fully open till September or even some in the fall. And the reason was, is not because the corporate leadership didn't want to open, is all of these employees refused to come back, and particularly the doctors, out of fear. And ours had a different motivation. And so they were able to set their fear aside and just move forward with some common sense kind of protections, Mm -hmm. if you could refer to any of that craziness as common sense, but they took much more of a kind of a practical approach to things and says, well, we don't want everybody to get sick and die, but at the same time, we can't just stay shut down for the next four or five months. We've got to get back open and pay people their pay. I mean, cover payrolls and pay for rents and et cetera. So I think that the fact that it was a small business organization helped us recover much more quickly. Um, From the individual small business perspective, though, we were able to deliver corporate-like resources and information 
to give them the guidance they needed to do so safely. Whereas if an individual private independent optometrist is out there, they don't have any of that resource. And so they just had to pay attention to the news media, which is never a good idea. And, uh, and, and their friends and, you know, their acquaintances, half of which were telling them, don't open, it's too dangerous. And the others were going, you got to open, you got to pay your rent. And they were kind of in a quandary. But so we had all the advantages of a large corporate structure, but the spirit and individuality and independence of entrepreneurs. And so I think that helped us a lot. I repeat, I think um, the way you have organized Texas State Optical is uniquely positioned to help to move forward in, in this sort of marketplace. And uh, I applaud your foresight back 20 years ago for Thank putting that together. Thank you. What What's something you'd like to be celebrating one year from now, personally, professionally, either or both? Well, I'd like to um, celebrate um, opening of 10 new locations. And that's part of our growth plan. And it, so I think from a corporate standpoint, a business standpoint, um, I'd like to, to to do that. That's There's really largely two things that drive our business model. One is the number of locations and then uh, helping each, you know, the old adage of there's only one way to make money in business, and that is either get new customers or sell to the ones you got already. And my customers are optometrists that have their own locations. And I'd like to do both. I'd like to add new customers, new locations. And then I'd like to come up with innovative ways to um, help them in such a way that it translates into more revenue for the corporation. And so I think that that's one of the things I'd like. Excellent. Um, and personally, what would you like to celebrate a year from now? Well, I've been on a pretty um, stringent weight loss program. <laughs> and um, and so I'd like that to continue. And um, I'm, I'm planning to lose another 40 pounds this year. 40? So that's, 40 that's a lofty goal. Good for you. I, I wish you the best of luck with that. I know the holidays aren't the easiest time to keep those things up. No, well, I was... I've come through the difficult part, right? The the new Thanksgiving, the big meal, food um, uh, uh, holidays. <laughs> John D. Marvin of Texas State Optical, it's been lovely having you with us today. Appreciate you spending some time with Business Ninjas. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it, and um, I appreciate the the work you're doing with the the podcast. I think it's great. Well, thank you. Hey. Are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.